thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous. This evening, as the last few turkeys wonder why their collies keep disappearing in the night and we edge further into the month when no one does any work, we welcome one of the busiest men in the arts, Steve Wall of The Stunning. Our artist and profile is theatre maker and so much more, Christine Scarry, um, who is the writer-in-residence at uh, the Watergate Theatre. Uh, speaking of which, we'll then hear from Joanna Cunningham, doyen of the Watergate Theatre, who will we will talk to a little bit about how the theatre operates and hear how she's at the vanguard of securing a future for Irish theatre and perhaps seek some advice from her about what cultural ponds we should belly flop into. The Art Show on KCLOR with Hugo Jellis with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. First of all to Steve Wall of The Stunning who I met for a cup of tea earlier this afternoon. He's a man who doesn't know how to stop, and thank God, the stunning remain brilliant trailblazers of possibility and of loyalty, an example of a contract of marriage between band and fan that has lasted three decades and counting, and still remembers the proverbial anniversary. So many hits and so many gigs, such work and energy and devotion to an incredible legacy, and a, a band that's more important, I would argue, than almost any other Irish band, because it it did what it did without the leg-ups and the dollars of management and a record label investment and still topped the charts. So we covered a lot of ground in the interview and, and the full interview you can listen to on the KCLR website. But one of the questions I asked was why the stunning called it a day after seven years. It was sort of like let's cut our losses kind of a thing, you know. So um, it was 94 when we decided to call a halt to it and then myself and Joe formed The Walls and um, The Walls, you know, I mean, the walls are still, there's another walls album due to come out actually next year. It's all finished. And um, so, yeah, that, that, that's the one area that I think has frustrated me the most over the, the last 35 years or so I've been involved in the Irish music industry. There's an organisation here called First Music Contact. Yes. They just deal mainly with um, new and emerging artists. That's right. Angela Dorgan, she, she, yeah. she spoke yeah. to us a couple of weeks ago on this show. Yeah. Now, the problem I have with that is that um, in terms of funding, the Arts Council and the government seem to see FMC as like, oh, well, you know, we'll give the money to FMC and that's music sorted. Yeah, That's contemporary music in Ireland sorted. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not because you have artists that have been around for, you know, a good few years who are on their third, fourth, fifth, sixth album. Yeah. And these are artists in a way that are being ignored. When you think of it, you look at artists that... Have, are still doing what they do 10, 15 years later or more. And there's no supports there for them. In terms of, like, th th these are artists that could go and play in any European festival mm -hmm. with a, a back catalogue of, of uh, music to choose from. These are established artists who have maybe gotten to at that point in Ireland on their own steam. So if they can do it here, they can do it anywhere. So that is my only crib about that sort of funding that um, there should be um, a sort of a lazy yeah, door like for example the, the walls we were at a crucial point in 2012 we put out our third album and the band um, was just as a live band we were really at our peak and it was really crucial for us to get a festival like Eurosonic in Belgium mm -hmm. where you played to festival bookers from Europe we really needed that yeah. but 
we weren't added to uh, the shortlist that right. was sent over to the Eurosonic organizers. Right. We, we tried, but we were, we were left off that shortlist yeah. in favor of, say, new and emerging artists, who I feel a lot of times are not ready. Right. You know, and it's kind of wasted. But there should be something for artists. I mean, I could name loads of them, artists that have been plying their trade here for years and are just fantastic at the top of their game. But it's kind of like, um, what's new? You know what I mean? Right. It's like, what's new? But you can't just, you know, you, you have to, these artists have invested. I mean, you look at people like Mundy, Paddy Casey, yeah. you know, even Jerry Fish and all that, like incredible artists and entertainers. There's, there's loads of them, you know, Kathy Davies, she's mm -hmm. incredible. You know, I could go on and name loads of names. And in a way, these are people, they have the catalogues, they have the experience. Mm -hmm. There should be some sort of fund or some kind of... Um, even an information resource that they can tap into and not be excluded from that. Well, uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting some of the bursaries that are handed out um, from governments, uh, you know, across the world that 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 uh, that are almost national treasure funds that that have, um, you know, persistent, hardworking acts, music acts, or they could be writers, they could be anything, and um, and and you know, they they they're given the ability to be able to um, put food on their own table before they then have to go out and, and so, so that yeah. they, they can then go out and make their music. And it's just, um, it's a very difficult thing to administer. It's obviously far easier if you're a writer because there's one of you and yeah. you don't need a lot. Um, whereas if, yeah. you, if you need to be put on a circuit that brings you to showcase um, to festivals in Europe and everything, it's an expensive business, but so, so worth it. Yeah. Let me ask you about your... Um, writing process. Are you as slow as a snail? Do you write quickly? Do you know when a song is finished? It was Nick Cave, I think, wasn't it, who said that you, you just abandon a song. <laughs> so are, are, yeah. you an, are you an abandoner? or? I'm definitely an abandoner, yeah. And I'm really slow. I'm really slow. I'm, I, was, I haven't written a song now in over five years. Um... I've completely sort of, I, I, I'm actually struggling to get back into writing um, because I'm kind of, I think I've been distracted a lot because since I started acting, I kind of thought, oh, I'm going to have so much time off between jobs and all of this, which is true. Um, but there is kind of constant aud an auditioning process all the time. And I was actually talking to Maria Doyle Kennedy about this because she's an actor and a songwriter yeah. and a musician mm -hmm. as well. So, um, and we were just saying that you, you kind of think, oh, I can just switch off from that and now focus on songwriting. It's really hard because if, say, you, you have an audition on the horizon, like I did, I did two auditions this week and I had to read a script last night and I have another script to read today. And... Uh, your head goes into the, that kind of space. You start imagining yourself as a certain character. Can I do this? Can I do a good job of it? And it's almost like you're out um, in a little fishing boat and you're fishing just for a certain type of fish. And the other fish, you don't even see them. There's just one, there's one breed of fish that you're looking for and you don't notice any of the others. And... That's what I've kind of found is that 
when your focus, for me anyway, when the focus goes on to one thing, you're, you're kind one, of... You're a one ball in the air juggler. It's a bit of that, you know. Yeah. And I, one thing I remember, I keep thinking of, was in, in Keith Richards' um, uh, autobiography. And he spoke about this really intensive, intensively creative time that himself and Jagger were having, um, where they were just banging out the songs. And he said that they were they were in the zone completely for about it was like a, a couple of years, and he said what happens is when you're in that zone, you're like this kind of you're primed you're like a sponge, and he said you could be at a, a, a drinks event or you could be at a party somebody says something or you see something, and it's like you're going that's what I want for this tune that's the, you know and he said you're you're constantly sort of just you're a receptacle. Yeah grabbing all these little things for this sort of um, little egg that you're trying to nurture, you know. So you're, you're catching all, the, all the, the, the bits that are flying around that you think might be of use. So that always kind of struck me as being very, very true because I found that as well. When, when I have been really kind of buried in writing songs, you're, you're, you're primed, you know. Other ideas come to you. You, you pick up on things that people say. Just like the way the Beatles would always pick up on things Ringo Starr said, and they often became the, the titles of Beatles albums. And were so always they, just things that Ringo said, you know, off the top of his head. So do you do you write alone? Are you a, a, alone and in silence, or are you up until four in the morning being noisy with a load of musicians? Um, probably more more when it comes to lyrics and stuff like that, and just the initial germ of an idea. Normally alone. I tend to start with um, the music and the music. Well, I, then I would have a separate kind of notebook and notes on all kinds of stuff so on the phone and on the computer and notebooks and everything. I would have maybe ideas for songs about subjects or phrases or um, people maybe that I thought about that I wanted to write something about. And um, I would have that. And then if I came up with a tune, a piece of music, that kind of... If I feel, if I have a gut reaction to it, then I know this could become something. And then I might try and pair that with something in my notebooks. Okay. But ten, usually the music comes first for me. And then that dictates, in a way, the, sort of the subject matter or the mood of the, mood of the lyrics. Okay. Um, so the stunning have a sort of a, a sort of a ritual um, these days of coming together once a year you know I think I've um, described it as your sort of anniversary gigs <laughs> and, and does it feel like you're reforming every year or are you just getting back out on the road what's the set what's the sense really, of coming together it's not really reforming anymore uh, it's more it's it's, it's kind of like we've actually since we, we got back together in 2003 because we reissued Paradise in the Picture House, the, the debut album, we reissued it on our own label. And, and it was a huge success. Like, I think it was, no, it was, it was just short of number, number one. It went to number two because they ran out of copies. It sold out halfway during the first week. Yeah. <laughs> they, it, we did, I think we pressed five or 10,000 or something like that. That was 2003. And they were all gone. Right. And you so, know, you so it went to number two. But... Um, Anyway, it was a great success. And so we decided, oh, we'll do it every two years. And that, that was impossible because there was, a, there was a demand like to do it at least once a year. Right. 
So then it was once a year, and now it's probably like twice a year. So okay. there tends to be um, a bit of a flurry of activity, you know, some gigs around December, and then we've kind of defaulted into doing some summer festivals. Okay. So um, we're happy to do that. But the funny thing is, like, we've actually been in, in our reformed state, we've been together longer than, <laughs> than, the, than on our first run. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Um, you, you're, you're, you've de- described yourself, I think, as a Galway band, or at least have Galway roots, and came out of that time of, of Druid Theatre and Gary Hines and Sharon Shannon and Mockness and, um, and uh, Saw Doctors and so on. Yeah. It, you know, and, and obviously Galway is, is, is replete with a stupid number of festivals. There's so much going on there. Yeah. So my question is, is how much of Galway is there in you and how does that play out when you're on stage? Um, I think, well, I suppose um, I couldn't speak for everyone. Well, the, well, apart from myself and Joe, the rest of the band still live in Galway. And myself and Joe are based in Dublin a long time now. And prior to that, um, we were in London because we, we left Galway around 1996 and went to London. We signed to Columbia Records there as The Walls. Um, so when we came back from there, we based ourselves in Dublin and we've been here since. Um, so... I would say, though, that Galway, in terms of myself, was a huge influence because I went to Galway in the early 80s. And, I mean, it was a very different place to now. And um, I started playing in a band and then I joined the Druid Theatre Company for a couple of years, which which had a lasting effect on me, actually. Um, I worked on some amazing productions uh, got to know some fantastic actors. I worked, uh, it was Gary's, Gary Hines' assistant on a production that Kieran Hines was in, actually. Right. It was the first time I ever saw Kieran Hines on stage and he was incredible. So I, I was really interested in theatre and acting then. And um, and around that time in Galway, you had Mockness. Myself and Joe and Cormac in the band, we were also members of Mockness. The, 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 yeah. the very, when Mockness started, we were on the, on the, the team. And... Um, so we were involved in everything from the arts festival and all that kind of stuff. So, and then the stunning started, and we were very much we started in Galway, um, and we kind of we were probably one of the first Galway bands to refuse to play in pubs for free. Yeah, because that was one issue I always had with Galway at the time. The the bars were full of cover bands and great cover bands. Yeah. But we decided we weren't going to do that and that if anyone wanted to see The Stunning, they had to put their hand in their pocket. And uh, so our first gigs in Galway um, was the the Hilltop Hotel in Salt Hill. We booked it ourselves. We promoted it ourselves. And I think we did two two weeks in a row or something like that. And they both sold out. So but there was this buzz about the band because it wasn't free. It it was the band that had the gall to put on posters and say it was like, you know, two pounds in or something like that you know so um i think we just sort of got kind of um a bit, a bit more a bit of respect for that yeah you know okay good good learning you'd, you'd mentioned um steve that you that you that you took to the theater and, and and um and in fact you wanted to be an actor but like so many actors actually like everyone in the country you were on the dole for ages instead yeah. and so the to the 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 band really came out of you, um, I, I think, just going, well, I can just be in a band. I don't have to <laughs> wait for 
um, and acting someone to give me an audition. I can just exactly. start a band tomorrow and that's how it all yeah. comes back. But you're doing you're doing a lot more acting now and, and, and getting some getting some lovely roles. And yeah. How are you finding that? Are you, are you do you love it? Do you I do, do you yeah. prefer the stage from the um, I, I wouldn't sort of prefer, you know, I wouldn't prefer, I think music will always be, you know, um, probably my first love, really, because I just loved music from when I was a child, you know, growing up in a house. My mother had fantastic records and was always playing a wide variety of music in the house, a lot of classical music, um, a lot of kind of Ella Fitzgerald. And mm -hmm. No trad, though. You there never, was no you, trad. You never took to the trad. There was no trad in our house growing up because... Um, I suppose um, my early formative years were in Dublin in, with my mother's family before we moved to County Clare. So where my dad is, you know, my dad is still down there and in a diamond. So we had already been poisoned with sort of American music and the Beatles and all of that before moving down to Clare. Yeah. But I actually have a, a great love of trad now. And I think a lot of that had to do with the Galway the goal experience, you know, because we were rubbing shoulders with all of these fantastic musicians who we know now, like Martin O'Connor, mm -hmm. for example, the box player, he played on our first, on Stunning's first album. Okay. You know, so we were rubbing shoulders with all these people in Galway. Galway was this amazing melting pot of everyone drinking in the same pubs and everything. And Jimmy in the, in the Stunning um, is well known on the traditional music scene as a percussionist. He plays with Christy Moore and okay. Altan and lots of, lots of people. So, we had Marching on our album, Brendan O'Regan, um, great mandolin player. He used to play with Dave Dannon. He's played with us. Um, uh, Andy Irvine is a friend. And, you know, we were, um, I went to see, myself and Joe went to see Paul Brady and Andy Irvine and Kevin Burke and Donald Lunny yeah. last week in Vicar Street. And we were backstage afterwards uh, having a great chinwag with them. So, like, I have actually, I think... Um, grown to appreciate traditional music an awful lot more. Yeah, I wondered whether it was stunning started. You know. Yeah, I wondered whether it was also a little to do with um, the fact that trad music is, you know, thrives and and is nourished by the handing on of songs, the handing down of songs, um, and um, and you know, you mentioned about you, you you grew up in a period where all the where all the pubs in Galway were full of bands playing covers and yeah and i sort of detected in 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 you and in your work that that you were you were quick to want to to write original music yeah um you know it, it's obviously much easier to 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 you know get up on stage and play songs that the audience already know but it's a very daring thing to do and um and bold to get up and go here's something you've never heard before <laughs> It is hard, and I know I know a lot of cover bands, they do, um, and artists that are, you know, playing in pubs, it's they're really hard gigs to do, and I know a lot of them do try and sneak in a few of their own and all of that, but it's very hard to play to an audience that haven't paid in to see you, because they're not, they're, they're going to be there anyway, regardless of whether you're performing or not. So we had did, we, we ended up, we did a couple of those in the early days, um, where we played in bars, and we got paid. But you were playing to people's backs, you know, they were sitting on stools facing the other direction, and I just said, to hell with this. Yeah. yeah. It's just not worth it. Yeah. I, I must be absolutely heartbreaking yeah. seeing that happen. Yeah, or people looking at sports on a television while you're playing. <laughs> There's no, nothing more insulting. But, but, but so, 
you know, performing Brewing Up a Storm for you must be both a, a, um, a great pleasure and a huge pain. <laughs> it's not a pain at all. We actually, we actually still enjoy playing that song. I think it just has this sort of primeval kind of pulse to it, you know. It just kind of rattles along like this. Um, it, it, it's a really, for Brewing Up a Storm is a funny one. Because, I mean, it started off, um, I had been in Germany working in a factory for three months uh, on summer holidays. Um, after I failed my first year in college, I, I was packed off to Germany. My dad insisted I had to go and that I was going back to college come hell or high water and I was paying my own fees. <laughs> so I was off to Germany working and um, I brought a guitar and I ended up uh, playing songs um, in a local kind of young people's pub, the Jugendzentrum. And I was playing, you know, Neil Young and Bob Dylan and all that kind of stuff. And um, then uh, when I got back, I wanted to write something that was along the lines of uh, like Dylan's Blown in the Wind, to say. So Brewing Up Storm started as a kind of Dylan-esque, strummy, folky kind of thing, you know, with the same chord progression. And then I played it then when the stunning got together. I played it with the lads and they just couldn't really play and somebody said you know pick up the electric guitar and uh, so I, I started picking out the chords on the electric guitar and then it sort of morphed into a riff and then it was like let's speed it up and you know so it morphed from being uh, something like blowing in the wind <laughs> into this doorsy broody kind of rock song yeah and there's also in, in a sense it's it now doesn't belong to you anymore it yeah. belongs to everyone else yeah yeah it's an obligation <laughs> That was Steve Wall, and, and um, we're grateful for Steve for finding the time to talk to us. So the Stunning have now been together longer this time than they were together, and uh, and it's a great accolade for them. They've been gone from Kilkenny this year, but they play in the Olympia on Saturday, and then to add that our own Stephen Byrne of KCLR, also of One Morning in August, are supporting the Stunning on the 16th of December in Dunmore East, so get yourselves to that one. We're going to take a, a quick break now and then we're going to come back with our artist in profile who is Christina Scarry. You're listening to The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Dellis. Brought to you with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. So my name is Christine Scarry and my art practice is primarily directing theatre, but I cross the divide into music and very occasionally I sometimes step back into performance as well. I, I have a private voice practice as well and I coach singers and actors across all styles of uh, singing and spoken word and all any kind of voice work really um, to help them find their best voice and technique and performance techniques as well as vocal health. I'm originally from Ballymun in Dublin, on the north side of Dublin, and I now live in the heart of Kilkenny City and uh, will never live anywhere else. Um, a key point in my career as an artist, gosh, there's been so many. Uh, I've been so fortunate to be able to continually work in all the areas I love for nearly 30 years. I'm, uh, I'm beyond lucky, really. Uh, as a performer back in the early days, I think... I think the highlight was performing in a production of Stephen Sondheim's Follies at the National Concert Hall and it had an incredible international cast. 
that included Millicent Martin and Dave Willits and Judy Garland's other daughter, Lorna Luft, uh, who's an absolutely amazing performer, and some other really standout uh, Irish performers who have all gone on and done really wonderful things in their careers. Being an artist in Kilkenny, I think, is like being part of a family, I suppose, really. There's a very particular understanding between those involved and I think that extends to our audiences and patrons who've been so generous in supporting us over the years as well. Um, my practice frequently takes me out of Kilkenny too. So um, being here is always particularly special and kind of comforting in a way. Um, Kilkenny is such a beautiful place. I think it makes producing work easier just because of the environment itself. And I think there's a really creative culture and an appreciation of culture in Kilkenny's DNA. I think people are very proud of that and I'm very proud to be associated with it too. I'm currently working on, gosh, uh, I'm currently working on various projects at the moment. I'm directing a production at the Everyman Cork in February. Uh, I have a new piece of theatre that I'm developing with the writers and uh, will be directing that. Will That's also in Cork, actually, that will be produced later next year. And I'm at the planning stage for producing next year's Sondheim Festival here in Kilkenny. Uh, so we hope we had the first one here last year and um, we we hope to have as many events as last year with seminars, fun events, performances and, uh, you know, master classes. And, and somebody I hope to equal the amazing last night that we had last year or this year, I should say, I'm saying last year, but as in the last festival, it was on in July and we hope that it'll be on September, October in 2023. And then before all of that, I'll be working with my lovely group Alchemy at Roth House and on the Yieldfest bandstand for Christmas. And I'm musically directing Cinderella at the Watergate in January. So it's a, it's a very diverse portfolio and it's very busy. Time and space is important to most people. And honestly, I feel as if I never have enough time or space. <laughs> um, I'm constantly on the go. While one thing is on, you're preparing for the next thing, the next production, the next piece. But I thrive on being busy and I love the energy that it generates. So it's just the way I love to work. So I think actually if I had too much time or space, I mightn't be as productive, to be honest. Um, the most rewarding part of being an artist for me is just always feeling that excitement and energy of creating something new. Uh, I love the freedom to express, uh, to explore all the extraordinary things that you can't do in real life. Or that if you did, you'd be might be in jail. <laughs> so it's fantastic to explore all these things on stage and through the medium of theatre or music or drama, whatever it is. I love. I think that probably comes from being an actor myself. I love the feeling of what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes to try and get into that space. I don't know what advice I could give anybody else to be an artist other than to work hard, train hard. If you're in training, if you're lucky enough to be in a program that trains you for any kind of artistic pursuit to take it, you know, not to not to take yourself too seriously, but to take it seriously to, to you know, do justice to what you're working on, because I think we have a we have a responsibility to to do the very best we can in whatever field it is we can. And that drives me also some of the biggest influences on, on my work have been. Uh, well, there's two really. One is ever since I 
acted in a production of Sweeney Todd at the National Concert Hall almost 30 years ago now, which is really frightening to say because it feels like about five years ago. Um, I have been massively influenced by Stephen Sondheim. I think his greatness is still vastly underrated by the general public, but I would have no hesitation in saying that his importance in musical theatre is equal to that of Shakespeare in mainstream theatre. Another influence for me would be David Bowie. His artistic innovation and his creativity and his innate theatricality has always been very inspiring. And not least because he was unafraid to produce work and personas that are different. And uh, Turn and Face Strange is a lyric that really resonated with me. Um, and though there's a Sondheim lyric from Sunday in the Park with George that I carry with me all the time because I actually have it tattooed on my wrist. <laughs> and it's about the artist's process. And I really try to live by it and the, the quote is anything you do let it come from you then it will be new give us more to see and it is meant to be you know about in in that show in the context of it about uh, art and the creation of art as in painting kind of art but I think it could be applied to any artistic process really in fact most things in life <laughs> really um if I had one wish for the arts in Ireland, I think it would be that it is treated with equal importance to any other sector in society. I think during the pandemic in particular, we saw how undervalued the arts practitioners and musicians and, and arts in general were. However, I think um, we all talked a lot about that at the time. So I'd rather look to the future. And I think placing a far greater emphasis on the arts and our education system is vital. I think uh, putting an A into STEM and, in, you know, and recognising its importance on the school curriculum would be a good first step. And not constantly putting sport, for example, into an elevated position above arts in school system would be really helpful because I think that happens quite a lot. And so the people who are in maybe pursuing music or painting or drama, whatever the arts might be, feel uh, slightly less valued. And I don't think that's a good start. Um, so my website is christinescarry.com or redalchemy.ie. They all fall into the same place. That's the theatre company that I run is Red Alchemy. Um uh, Alchemy, the singing group, have a website of their own called Alchemy Vox. And uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram with Red Alchemy, uh, the Sondheim Festival and Alchemy Vox under three separate accounts. So... Uh, that was, uh, those were the words of Christine Scarry, um, not just a theatre maker, but a wearer of a ludicrous number of hats, uh, including Rain as writer in residence at the Watergate Theatre, a songstress, a mentor, an educator, and a voice coach. And speaking of the Watergate, stand by for us to be joined uh, after the break by Joanna Cunningham. With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland, this is The Art Show on KCLR with Hugo Jealous. Now, before the break, I'd said we were going to be joined by Joanna Cunningham, but due to one of those technical issues that um, occasionally come along and glitch everything, we're going to uh, talk to Joanna next week instead. Um, and and in, in, in its place, we're going to hear the words of Michael Harding. Michael Harding's one of my favourite people, and he's been at the Boris Festival four of, uh, I think, four times now in its short history. And each time he 
he makes me stop scuttling along, pretending that there's somewhere more important to be and listen to him. He, he possesses the modesty of a poet and the curiosity of an archaeologist. But the gait of an ordinary man at a mart or on a bar stool, and he's always giving himself a hard time. He's clothed in wisdom. Let's hear from him. I, I would start off maybe, rather than waiting to say it like later, I genuinely know nothing. Um, my experience of life, sadly, has been failure. Uh, I tried a lot of things and I failed at every single one of them. I tried to be a good student and I didn't do so well at that. Me BA, I didn't get my first class honours. And then I tried to do, to be a teacher and I failed at that. And then I tried social work. I didn't, that didn't work out. And then I tried being a priest and Jesus, that rightly crashed the bus. <laughs> and then I tried uh, playwriting and that, uh, like, like I was okay for a while, but eventually as Brian Friel says, you know, success is the postponement of failure. So eventually I was a failure at that. And then I started writing books. And then that was a problem. And then I started uh, memoir. And I suppose when I got as far as the memoir, I had, I had realised that even though I was angry about loads of things in life, like let's say I was very angry about the church and the institution as it was about to collapse, because not only had I close experience of things like abuse, but I also had the experience of, well, that f***ed up my life because I was trying to be a priest. So it was like... Anyway, just a little taste of the wonderful Michael Harding. And uh, we, I'd, I'd like to say thank you very much to, to Martin Bridgman again for um, being the technician with us here today and to Ethna for her steady hand um, as the producer. Um, we're going to hear now from the, from the stunning and... Uh, a track that I'm sure all of you listeners will know very well. Honey, if the truth hurts, don't look, it might go away. It's easy to pretend that life is a rosy bouquet. to the art show on KCLOR with Hugo Jealous brought to you with thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland.